0: Turn to Matthew 20 if you have a Bible. Um, again, I want to just use this as a, as a setup, really, um, as we're going to come back and pray some more. But I believe this passage will really uh, help us as we pray. You know, Hebrews 11:6 6 says that without faith it's impossible to please God. For whoever comes to God must believe that he is. And then there's that last line that we don't talk about very much that He's the rewarder of those who seek Him. Now, that is a tremendous truth that we have tonight, that when we seek the Lord by faith, He rewards us by being present with us. He rewards us by hearing our prayers. And then He rewards us by answering those prayers by His mercy. Now, unfortunately, I don't think that, that, that many Christians... Believe that truth fully. Either the theology tells them that God's gonna do what he's gonna do and it's all preordained and that, that prayer doesn't really make a difference, or they don't fully trust that the Lord is interested in every single detail of our lives. So there's a tendency to pray with kind of insecurity and timidity. And the tragedy of this is that in in many ways. With many Christians, and in fact with many churches, that we don't see prayer as the powerful, dynamic resource that it is—one that draws us into a deeper relationship with the Lord, and one that serves as a place of His help and strength. Because if we really believed in the promise of Hebrews eleven five that God is the rewarder of those who seek Him, seek Him, and we really believed in the power of prayer, you would have had to line up in your car tonight to get into this building, right? If we really believed when we seek the Lord and we call on Him, that He rewards those who seek Him. That's a promise in Scripture, just like John 3.16. If we really believed that as Christians, if we really believed that as a church, this room would be overflowing. You wouldn't be able to get a seat. But most churches don't even have a prayer meeting. Most churches don't even emphasize prayer on Sunday morning. And, and, and I think if we, if we are going to understand, and thank you for being here tonight, if we really were going to understand the power of prayer, we need to understand what God is ready to do. Because there is a truth that, that will cause us to really believe God's promise. And it's here in Matthew chapter 20. Scripture proves this truth over and over again. Our lives are proof of it, but it's personified here in this text. Look at verse 29. We're just going to read a couple verses, make a couple points, and go back to prayer. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men, sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? What a sentence that is. They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Now, this text shows us a very underrated characteristic of Jesus, and it's his compassion. Throughout the Gospels, you see that phrase that we see here at the end of the text we just read, that he was moved with compassion. I looked up the phrase in the Greek. It means to feel love and pity down in your gut. Have you ever felt for somebody they were going through something, and you just it, it almost it almost made you physically unwell. You just felt it so much, and you felt so bad for them, and you were just moved with with compassion, and you felt it down here in your gut. That's what Jesus was. That's a beautiful picture of the heart of God, that God tonight, the Lord tonight, isn't calloused. He's not harsh. He's not indifferent, and he's not detached. Now, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the lie that the enemies always told us is that God is severe, Right? that God is too demanding, that God is intolerant, and because mankind wants things to be easy, and because we want our expectations to be minimal, the majority of people in the world tonight have dismissed God, and they've rejected what Jesus did, or they kind of subtly mock him. They ask questions kind of derisively, well, how can a loving God allow anything bad to happen to people? Of course, ignoring the role of sin in our difficulty. But the new trend over the last 50 or 60 years has been just the opposite. The trend now is to distort who Jesus is and to present him as kind of soft and mushy and kind of tolerant of anything. And the church, unfortunately, has not only allowed that narrative, but it's advanced it. Because we're so worried about not being PC, and we're so worried about offending anybody in our delicate little easily offended culture that, that we don't want to do anything because if we say something, they might not listen to us, and they might not come to church, and, 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 and we won't be able to do anything. And here's the thing. The fact that God is compassionate doesn't mean he still can't be holy. And the fact that God's holy doesn't mean he can't still be compassionate. He can still love us. He can still care for us. He can still understand who we are without compromising for a moment his holy standard. He can still love us and be compassionate on us without changing the expectation that we are to repent of our sin and we're to respond to his grace. There is not one time in scripture... Not one time in the Gospels where you will find that Jesus tolerated sin. He called it out, he warned against it, and he held people like the Pharisees up as an example of pride and of selfishness. He didn't excuse people from their actions, he called them to repentance. And when they did respond, when they responded in faith, and when he showed his mercy, he said what? Go and sin no more. In other words, not anything goes with God, not whatever you want to do, whatever you want to be, God will just put up with it because at the end of the day, everybody gets to go to heaven and that's the way it is. That's not how God works. God never tolerates sin. Why? Because it would contradict his holiness. If God starts to allow sin to just be fine, then he can't be a holy God. But look back at the text, he does have compassion, and he's gracious. And he's merciful, and he's willing to forgive, and he cleanses us, and he heals us spiritually when we ask him. And that's what I want us to see tonight in this short little account in Matthew 20. And I want to just highlight very quickly two simple spiritual principles. Two simple spiritual principles that will strengthen our faith and will embolden us to pray. Okay? Two principles. Principle number one. The Lord is compassionate to us. The Lord is compassionate to us, especially because of what Jesus did. Now, I don't think we need to sit here and and make a defense of the fact that God loves us. I don't think we have to sit here and prove by dissertation the, the love of God. The fact that he didn't just destroy us for our sin and send all of us to hell and say, you had your chance, you blew it. You've offended me. I'm done with you. He, In his justice, in his holiness, he absolutely could have done that. But he proved his love by sending Jesus to come, and not just to come and kind of minister to us. He came as our sacrifice. He came as our Savior, bearing all of our sin. So we don't need to prove the love of God, but that love and compassion that God has is made even more conspicuous by the fact that in coming here, he subjected himself to everything we go through on a level that we can't fathom. Jesus was tempted, he was abused, he was criticized, he was mocked, he was rejected, he was abandoned, and he felt the weight of all sin. So there's never a time in our lives where we can say, Lord, you just don't understand what I'm going through. Lord, you, you just don't get it. I'm enduring something that you don't know about. You can't relate to it. And, and God, I, I know you're loving and I know you're great, and so you're compassionate. But you don't understand what I'm going through. You know, I remember in the early days of my ministry, I tried to counsel people. Even though I was in my mid-20s and had really no experience in life at all. But they would come in, and they'd be hurting, and I would say, well, I know how you're feeling. But I really didn't. I was trying to be helpful, and I was trying to be empathetic, but, but I'm sure for some people it kind of came across as trite because I wasn't experienced enough. I hadn't gone through what they're going through. Well, then my in-laws divorced, and I went through a job loss, and I had kids, and then we had a miscarriage. And I've had instance after instance after instance of trial. Now the latest trial, my dad's going through cancer treatments. So when I talk to people now, I can relate. Now I have a visceral understanding of the pain and rejection and division that divorce causes in a family. I can talk with integrity to parents about raising your kids and about the struggles of what it's like to be a young parent. I can empathize with families that have lost a child. I can help people and minister to people that are dealing with a major illness. How can I do that? Because you have to walk through it to understand it. And that's exactly what Jesus did. I've often told people through the years, God never wastes anything in your experience. So if you have gone through a bout with cancer, guess who he's going to bring into your life to minister to? People that deal with cancer. If you've gone through a separation in your marriage... God down the road will give you a ministry to people that are going through that so you can say, I've been there and God's been faithful. And look how he worked in my life and my marriage was restored. These are the ways that God works because God went through this. So Jesus can say to us, come to me, oh, you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest because he's been heavy laden he can come to us and say come and make your requests made known to me and that's never trite he fully understands everything that you and i are going through tonight because the bible says he was in all points tempted like we are he's fully acquainted with our griefs so the compassion of jesus tonight and this is an encouragement for us the compassion of jesus is real And it's reassuring, especially when we are in crisis. It's like a cool breeze to us on a hot day. It refreshes us and it reminds us that God is so faithful. How do we know this is true? Let's look at more evidence. Look back at the text for a second. Jesus is leaving Jericho. There's a huge crowd. Everybody's pushing and shoving. And it would have been so easy, right, for him just to pass by. It's loud, it's raucous, the, the crowd is pushing in on each other, and these two men were ignored on a daily basis anyway, because they were blind beggars, nobody had any time for blind beggars, and they, and they start to cry out to Jesus, and what's fascinating is as they cry out to Jesus, the crowd actually becomes hostile to them. I, I like the word that the Holy Spirit uses here, he says that they sternly told them to be quiet, they rebuked them, they said, hey, shut up over there, hey, hey, you too, Be quiet everybody's yelling, but but they're picking on the blind guys and telling them to be quiet. Isn't it funny that the people who preach tolerance are usually the ones who are most intolerant? These people are all seeking Jesus' attention. They're all seeking his help. But when these two guys who really have a need cry out, they pounce on them, even though they're seeking the same things. But I love these guys. They're not dissuaded. They're not going to let the crowd tell them what to do. So what do they do? Look at it. They, they start yelling louder. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. crowd's like, shh. They're like, oh, no. Lord, Son of David. They just start yelling louder. And I love what happens. Because the text, even though it doesn't commend them for their faith like some other passages do, it's clear that they have faith. They believe that God will help them. They believe that God can help them, and if they will just get his attention, listen now, if they can just get his attention, he will help. That's exactly what we're doing tonight. And we don't have to worry, gee, I hope I'm going to have to pray really loud so I can get God's attention. No, he's in this room with us. All we have to do is say, Lord, help us. We're going to do that at the end. Lord, help us. We have a need. Lord, I have a need tonight. There's a burden on my heart. I need your strength. I need your help. That's what they're doing. They're praying. They're praying out loud. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. And when he responds, because how many know Jesus always responds? And he says, what do you want me to do? What an amazing statement that is. Their faith is clear. And they say, we want our eyes to be open." So, the first thing to understand quickly is that God has compassion on us. Second, would you see that the Lord is open to do the work of opening? Now, you say, well, that's a strange sentence. What does that mean? What it means is, first of all, that the Lord is willing to help us. When we pray tonight, we don't have to wonder, I hope God's interested in this request, I hope this isn't too small. Or this isn't too big. Or I hope God doesn't have other things that, that are more important. I, I I don't listen, there's no insecurity in prayer. What does James say? When you pray, pray with faith. Not like the waves of the sea wavering back and forth, going in and out. I don't know if God will help. Yeah, God will help. I don't know if God'll Yeah. No, that's not how faith works. Faith says, Lord, You are faithful, you are just, you are good, you are gracious. You've opened up the throne of grace to me, and I'm supposed to come. You tell me to come boldly. So I'm coming boldly to you, and I'm asking you to help me. You pray like that, God answers that prayer. Because look at what he does. They say, Lord, have mercy on us. Look at the next phrase, verse 32. Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. Think about the, the, the push of the crowd. Think about the impetus of the crowd. Everybody's, I mean, he's like not even walking. I went to a concert once in, in London and we were on the pitch. 110,000 people at this concert. And I was standing about 40 yards from the stage like this. There was a person here, person here, person here, person here. I couldn't have fallen down if I had wanted to. I was tight. Think about the crowd. As they're pushing Jesus along, and everybody's yelling and screaming, Lord, help us, Lord, minister, Lord, heal me, Lord. And Jesus walking along, and these two guys are crying out. And Jesus goes, hold on, time out, stop. And the crowd's still pushing. "Why, why, Why are we stopped? And Jesus turns, look at it, verse 32, and he calls out to them. He reaches out to them. Listen, God is not hesitant tonight. He's not stingy. His grace is abundant. He's ready to pour out power on us when we call. He's ready to help us and encourage us and strengthen us and bless us and minister to us when we call. We know that's true because if he wasn't, Jesus never would have come. Jesus never would have come here. And he certainly wouldn't have taken away my sins and your sins and taken them to the cross. If he's willing to take my sin, if he's willing to defeat my sin, if he's willing to cleanse me from my sin, if he's willing to secure me as his own and adopt me as his child, don't you think he's willing to help us with our daily needs? Don't don't you think he's perfectly willing to do that? And he says, this is why I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He's going to come alongside you. And he's going to fill you and he's going to strengthen you and he's going to teach you and he's going to encourage you and he's going to teach you how to walk. And you are going to live in the riches of my glory. And if you call on me, then I'm going to open up the storehouse of my grace and my blessing on your life. God is ready tonight. This is not prosperity gospel. This is not pie in the sky. This is scripture. God is able and ready to open up the storehouse of his blessing to heal us and sustain us and to, to resolve our problems. Remember the old hymn? Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Calvary. Anybody know that song? Calvary. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. He died to set me free. if, 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 If he's willing to lift me of the burden of my sin, don't you think he can handle the crisis of my life right now? Don't you think he has enough strength to minister to us? Why? Because he knows firsthand what it's like to be us. He knows all our struggles, all our crises, all our hurts, all our weaknesses, all our disappointments, all our rejection. He knows what it is to be misunderstood. He knows all of it. He's empathetic. He cares for us. He says, do you think I'm going to clothe the flowers and feed the birds and not provide for you? I, I died and rose again for you. You, you think I'm not going to take care of you? You think I'm not going to provide? You think that when, I call, when you call on my name, that, that I'm going to be too busy? Or, or that I'm going to give you, when you ask for bread, I'm going to give you a stone? Is that how you treat your kids? I've given you direct access, right to my throne of grace. So when you come, here I am. Now, if your difficulty is self-induced, I'm going to call it out. And I'm going to call you to Change. And I'm going to speak words to you out of my word and by my spirit. Because faithful are the words of a friend. If you're going to conform to me, then you're going to have to change. But when you change, I'm gracious to you. Look at these two men. We're going to pray. They have a need. They can't see. And they're disabled. They need help. No one around them is going to help. Nobody wants to help and that they get yelled at for even asking for help. But Jesus is compassionate. And he's willing to open their eyes. And he's able to open their eyes. And he's able to open up a new life for them. And after they receive his help, (laughs) notice in verse 34, you would think they would dance around and go visit family and go get a bite to eat, but no. It says they immediately began to follow him because once you know what Jesus has done for your life, there is nothing you desire more. Now, we're going to spend some time in prayer. And I hope that we come to prayer tonight with, with two new perspectives. More gratitude, more appreciation, more love, for all the ways that God is gracious to us. All the ways that God is compassionate to us. All the ways he's helped us throughout the years. If you had to catalog all the different ways God's helped you throughout the year. Think how long that list would be. And that he's going to help you today. He's going to help you tomorrow. He's going to help you the next day. And then as we gain greater appreciation and love and, and, and gratitude to him. Now that brings us to devotion. Devotion. A full and confident surrender of our hearts. Not coerced, not regretful, not stingy, not like, well, okay, i got to follow you now because you saved. No, that's not how it works. You've lifted the burden off my life, Lord. Now I'm free, and now I'm going to follow you with all I have. These men, I guarantee you, verse 34, they never looked back and said, we wish we could go back to the old life. They just followed him day after day after day.